This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. All right, this is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer, Al Castle, back with my co-host, Brian Salmon. How's it going, Brian? Going great, Al. Happy to be here, as always. Yes, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, and your family and everybody listening uh, as well and watching. We're using some new technology here to do this on, on video. I hope this is recording. We just <laughs> spent a long time making sure that... Uh, it's recording, and I hate to be just kind of doing this into the abyss, and nobody hears it, um, because we've got a lot to talk about, uh, uh, Brian, uh, coming off of back-to-back weeks of uh, pretty major shows from AEW uh, and WWE. I was lucky enough to be able to attend both, being here in, in the Northeast, uh, AEW's Full Gear show in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and um, Survivor Series uh, in Boston. On, on the busiest travel weekend uh, of the year, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to stay home for Thanksgiving, my wife cooks for everybody. I voluntarily got in a car and drove uh, to, to Boston uh, essentially for a day and came back uh, the next day, which was kind of nuts, uh, but was totally worth it. I had a great time at Survivor Series. I want to talk uh, all about it and also catch up on uh, AEW. And uh, some big picture stuff coming out of those um, shows, uh, particularly uh, as, as it pertains to leadership in WWE and uh, AEW. Uh, and then later on, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm not sure you'll get this, but if you're um, listening to the audio uh, podcast, I've got a treat for you. And that is an interview with Brian Hebner of uh, the Hebner family of uh, referees. He's been on a campaign, Brian, uh, to get his father and uh, uncle, uh, Dave, uh, into the WWE Hall of Fame, which I think is uh, has a lot of merit. And uh, we talk about that and uh, kind of WWE's historical sort of uh, use of uh, referees uh, and how that's changed over the years, not necessarily for the better. Um, some of whether there's some lingering um, hard feelings and grudges there between the Hebners and uh, WWE, uh, particularly the McMahon family. And uh, also just kind of looking back on uh, Brian's uh, career as a, a referee and the son and nephew of, of um, some very uh, well-regarded uh, referees. He even tells the story of, of watching his, uh, his dad and his uncle on a uh, main event, on the most watched wrestling uh, match, I think, still in American history. Yeah. Um, so uh, a fun chat that we had. Stay tuned for that. Uh, right now, let me tell you about uh, the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I've got a few here. We've got the women's uh, 150, and we are in ranking season. You could still get the PWI uh, 500. And uh, I think by, depending on when folks are listening to this, uh, next week or later this week, I think December 8th is the date that we drop our February issue, which is going to be the Tag Team 100 uh, list and uh, I don't know if you've seen the cover. I got a preview of the cover, uh, Brian. It looks awesome. No yes, spoilers. yes. No, I did see it. No spoilers, but yeah, great cover. Love it. Happy yeah. with the choices and all that stuff. Yep. You pushed hard to uh, make the Viking Raiders number one. You got your way. <laughs> That's uh, right. So, oops. Yes. Let's say that. Uh, but it, it, another fun issue. And right after that, we're already getting working on the uh, the achievement awards, the the year end issue. So it is the busy busy season here at Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Go to pwi-online.com. You could pre-order issues. You could order back issues. And of course, you could subscribe 
and get the uh, the biggest savings um, off the cover price. One quick thing about um, the the tag team issue, spoiler free, um, and you've been part of some of these conversations, Brian. Uh, I anticipate, you know, people. There's controversy for every pick. Uh, I think the tag team one is going to have some people, some people, especially heated. Of course. I mean, look, uh, I'm not giving anything away, but that goes with any list we do, especially if, you know, the only time that's not going to happen is if there's ever a time where there's a clear, absolute number one uh, pick. And I don't think that was the case this year. There were there were tough choices to be made, you know, and so whenever that happens, whoever's on the other side of things is not going to be happy. So how can you, how can you avoid it? You just have to be confident in your, in your choices, be able to explain and defend your choices and and move forward. Yeah. And uh, you know, you talk about like a, a slam dunk. I thought if there was ever a slam dunk, it was Roman Reigns as the number right. one for the 500. And there were still people who were. Oh, let me tell you power. something. Yeah. There's people that are just in their silos and I think Roman Reigns is the closest thing to us. Roman Roman Reigns is like if we were saying it's 1987 and we're doing it and 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 people are arguing that it shouldn't be Hulk Hogan like it's right. that kind of thing. But I'll tell you what I went to um, I've been around a lot of AEW fans recently at shows and things and it'll come up especially if I say that I write for PWI and they think it's completely in, there's a lot of people that think it's totally insane and ridiculous and roman reigns is a clown and he's a joke and he hardly ever wrestles and it should be john moxley and all this kind of thing and and so there's always going to be people that take issue no matter what you no matter where you go with it yeah i think the challenge with the tag teams this year is that they were essentially um maybe it's a little bit of a spoiler but not really a surprise there were two hulk hogan's uh this year in um tag team wrestling and uh, you can only pick one so that's about about as much as as i'll say uh but yeah. i'll say and it's a very good year for for tag team wrestling right and i think like the, the thing with the tag team list is there was without a question there was more than one very possible choice where i think i would have even been able to you know go okay yeah for for more than one so it wasn't a clear-cut runaway like i thought that that reigns was i thought that roman reigns was even more of a runaway than kenny omega was last year because oh, last agree, year yeah. last year roman reigns was like that 1a 1b in my in my mind and i could have totally seen it going the other way possibly but this time with reigns alone there was nowhere else, no one else in my mind even remotely close. And look, I'll be the one to say it. If you're taking a sober, unbiased view of the industry right now, and you don't think that Roman Reigns is the number one wrestler in the business, this is Brian Solomon saying this. I think you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And 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 you you can point to other to things that other wrestlers do better than him, whether mm -hmm. it is uh technical wrestling or flying or cutting a promo but in terms of the uh the, the total package uh yeah it's it's absolutely um roman reigns and he and defines the era that we're in right now yeah you know we had a conversation some uh months back where uh you know it's been clear for a long time that he is the biggest star uh in in wrestling and even the biggest star in in years i mean certainly since kind of the john cena run now I think the question gets to, are we starting to talk, you know, beyond that, right? I mean, not to be too hyper, uh, hyperbolic, but uh, when do you start getting into the all-time conversation, the Hall of Fame conversation 
Um, Roman was on the ballot this year, right, for the the Observer Hall of Fame. Yes, uh, he was. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I don't expect he'll get in. Do you? Well, Kenny Omega went in, so I mean, yeah. uh, you know, but 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 the difference is, I think there's Kenny Omega has a lot more support among Observer readers, I would say, and voters. But it's that rule we've talked about, where I think it's if you're 15 years pro, you're eligible. So Roman Reigns, I think, got into it. Uh, I think he just barely. Well, he got his he got his developmental deal in yeah. 20, he's only got ten, 10. years in WWE now. Um, no, but but if in, you include in proper it, yeah. right, if you include all of wrestling, like the developmental system, I think it becomes sure yeah, for thirteen. That. So maybe I don't know. Maybe we're missing something, but it, it seems so quick for someone like that. At least yeah, Kenny Omega yeah. had a little bit of a longer career than Roman Reigns has had. Yeah, and and the reality is, uh, you know, you set aside Roman's whatever it's been now, um, two years and change since basically since his heel turn since he came back at that SummerSlam um, in the pandemic uh, with Paul Heyman, and he was on top for a number of years before that, but it was not working. It was it was a disaster. It was a flop, you know. Um, so I don't know that those years were, you know, it 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 put some some more WrestleMania main events on his resume and, you know, he beat the undertaker at WrestleMania and he can um, claim all this stuff, but it was not working. Uh, and, right. and it was sort of manufactured, uh, manufactured success. And it wasn't a, a dig at him because I, I always thought he was super talented. It was just one of the great miscastings of, of all time um, with the role he was playing. And now um, in, in this right role uh, and, and it is still, early on, even two years in, but it really does feel like we're watching something special. Um, and, and maybe that that's a good uh, segue into talking about um, the Survivor Series, uh, WWE's first uh, attempt to put on war games on a, a main show on its main roster. I loved it. I, I really did. We could pick apart certain things that didn't quite work. And whenever you're comparing to, um, uh, you know, those those classic historic war games, you know, I, I, I've been a, a, as much a fuddy-duddy as anybody saying, well, well, you know, you can't do blood and why isn't there a roof on top of the cage and all that stuff. And and uh, there's not the, the submit or surrender. Um, but but I've come around and certainly understand um, why this version of War Games is maybe the right one um, for the time. And uh, it, it's interesting because there were there were the two of War Games matches that bookended um, the show. I enjoyed the women's one uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, it was, in some ways, more in keeping with the, the the classic war games. And again, the challenge here is doing a match that was uh, its reputation was a violence in sort of the PG era, no blood, uh, nothing like that. That said, I think the women did a really good job of of making it exciting and a lot of athleticism, a lot of big bumps, kind of the WWE style violent match, essentially what you see in Hell in a Cell and, and that kind of thing. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was whatever it was, 40 minutes and it kind of flew by some sloppiness uh, along the way. Uh, but I thought, well, they left room for the men to have an even more exciting, violent match. And I don't think um, they did. This isn't at all a slight, but they really um, it was two different formulas where the, the first War Games was driven on the action and the physicality and the excitement. And the second one was driven uh, by story and, and a story that was told throughout the night and, and really mm -hmm. for weeks, you know. Um, with that payoff, and I just I loved it. I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, um, 
wrestling certainly for me is is the best when you are telling a real compelling story and uh you know the the lasting image for me is Jay Uso hugging uh, uh, Sami Zayn. It was just like what a great culmination of everything they've been doing um the last several weeks, and the place just went crazy. Um, um it, it was a, such a memorable, uh, terrific moment. I thought it was masterful wrestling storytelling. It is the finish was very well done. It was terrific, like you said, the whole build for it. Um, it's it's so strange to me, though. It makes me wonder how they're going to play it out because at this point, I mean, I'll come out and say it, the bloodline are faces. I mean, yeah. they are full-on baby faces. So even though they're – are they supposed to be heels? I don't really know. Based on who they're wrestling, I would say yes. So when they do this, when they play this out, and, you know, a lot of people speculating of Sammy kind of like – leaving the bloodline or, or, or turning and all this kind of stuff. Um, are we, is Sammy going to be the baby face in that scenario or not? It's, I think that's kind of up in the air. I don't know. I, I feel like our, you know, Roman Reigns has finally now reached that territory of the heel that people cheer for, which is such a, what a journey he's been on. You know, he went from the baby face that people boo <laughs> to the heel that people cheer so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I thought the match was was well done. Um, my my biggest issue with the war games they do now, it's not um, – I don't mind that they added pinfall to it or that there's no roof. I don't mind that so much. Um, the blood, obviously, I think it would be better with blood. I think any cage match benefits from that. It's almost like, you know, it the cage is code for blood in a way. My bigger issue – is how they've turned it into like a plunder match. Now it's become expected that everybody's going to bring weapons and props and things into the cage. That gets to be, that started in NXT and it got to be a little too much for me where it's like, where you have people chanting for tables in a cage match, I think it's kind of weird. <laughs> like it's a weird thing. Like we want tables and it's a cage match, but that's what they've been trained to expect. Like, I think they do the weapons and prop spots because it gives them a way to fill the match and spots to do, especially if you're not doing blood, like how much could you really do with five guys against five guys in a cage, like for that long. So I understand why they do it. It's the biggest thing I've had trouble getting used to, but, but it didn't, but I still enjoyed the match. I enjoyed both of them. Actually. I thought in some ways the women's one might've been even better. But uh, just from a match perspective, but the show itself was a great show. Yeah, I, I agree. It is funny that you're surrounded by you know steel, metal, you know fencing, and what everybody's excited about is balsa wood <laughs> tables, right? Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that said, it's like you know we say here a lot. You know, if it works, it works. And I know whatever it was, sixteen thousand people there at uh, TD Garden um, wanted those tables popped for the chairs, popped for the yeah. the kendo sticks. So um, I, I do think you have to be uh, careful how much you go into the well. You know, if if they were going to do that in in one match, maybe they have to sort of think about what they're going to do in the other uh, because it did become a little. Uh, repetitive and the other thing whenever you bring out a table it it uh you know this match isn't over until you know when you see a perfect table in the ring uh you know leaning on a, a corner post or something uh it's like well we're not going home until that table is is broken um right. uh, all that said uh i get that wwe has 
a, a formula. And again, you, you play to the audience that you have, uh, you know, the room, and I think they, they know the room and uh, it worked. It, it absolutely worked and was fun. And uh, I want to go into it uh, deeper, but, but before even talking about sort of the, the matches, um, mm-hmm. one thing is the production value. I mean, I was there uh, in the building and it just looks amazing. I mean, when, uh, early on, you see you see that cage, and it's one of the reasons I, I drove to Boston. Because it's one of the few wrestling experiences I haven't had is seeing that double cage in in person, the War Games right. cage. And you get there, and and you know the time's ticking um, until the start of the show, and it's whatever it is, seven fifty nine, and the air sirens start, <laughs> and the cage starts lowering. And I'm ten years old, man. I'm I'm losing my mind. Uh, and then they've got. Uh, the war pigs and they got Ozzy. That and, was great. Uh, that was really, so really well pyro. done. And I, I sort of feel this way every time I go to WrestleMania. It is really kind of breathtaking. Like, I don't know. And I'm not just talking wrestling. I'm talking in, in pro sports and, and anything. Um, the production value is at such a high level. It, it is super impressive. And I went to a full gear uh, a couple weeks ago and it was a fine show, a good show. But it's these kind of things where that shows you like the gulf that exists. And and it's again not any dig on AEW. It's the fact that one company's got a 50-year head starter or whatever it is. But um right. uh, WWE is untouchable when it comes to stuff like that. Right. And and I think, but what you said at the end there is very important to remember. They have such a head start. I mean, they have been um, and I'm not even talking about the whole history of the company, you know even just the history of how long they have been really actively trying to work on TV production. Cause I think that's a process that starts in the mid eighties and you've still got 37 years that they've been developing. Cause that's what it is. It's like you're building on what you did before. So anytime you do that, when you've had a head start, it's going to be, you know, that much more advanced and, and better. I think the, the benefit of, you know, it raises, it's good and it's bad because it raises the standard for all of wrestling. So now it's so much harder for anyone else to compete because it's no longer just enough to have good booking and good matches and good wrestlers. It's like the production is so important um, that it, it, it threatens to make everybody else look low rent. Whereas in an, in another era they might have been just fine. Like like AEW is a good example. They the, the benefit they have is tons of money to throw at everything, right. right? Limitless cash. But as you see from watching the show, it's it looks good. It's polished. It's a, it's a good. You can watch it and it's a good looking show. It's nowhere near the production value of WWE, and we know it can't be for lack of money. It's other factors. It's 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 talents the people you have working for you it's it's the uh continuity of doing this for years and years it's you know the whatever the philosophy of the company might be and there's so many other things that go into it and um wwe has it over everybody in that area no one would ever deny that the, the not just and not just the live tv production but even just the whole thing of not not the camera work. We have our issues with the Kevin Dunn <laughs> yeah. short attention span stuff, but the but the um, the editing of of promo vignettes and packages and things to hype up matches. I mean, they, they, no one does that like they do. Um, and even the stuff that people complain about with Kevin Dunn's like directing style and the moving cameras and everything, even even if you may not like it, it still demonstrates that a lot of thought 
is being put into how we're going to shoot this. There's a lot of like um, choices being made, a lot of very careful technical discussions, I'm sure, that are being had. And I would venture to say more so than in, in any other wrestling company, for sure. Yeah. And and I, I think some of what makes that possible is uh, the, the same thing that sometimes turns people off about WWE. And it is that it is so corporate, that there are so many people working there, that there are you know, hundreds of people in every department. I always tell the story of of going to um, one of these fan access shows and uh, they have a whole setup. This was years ago now for um, the Undertaker streak. And they had a gravestone for each opponent right. uh, that he beat. And I thought it's somebody's job every year to go to like the gravestone manufacturer and get a CM Punk uh, grave made this year. Um, and it's just uh, uh, an item on a checklist that they got to do. <laughs> and I, I thought that being in, in Boston and, and walking into the, the building and I expected some extent um, for WrestleManias, but they had the, 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 uh, the banners on the lampposts um, along the street outside the garden. They had stickers on the, the sidewalks branded uh, survivor series, the whole staircase leading into um, TD Garden was one big banner um, for survivors. They had an ice sculpture, a Survivor Series ice sculpture that fans <laughs> were taking uh, pictures in front of um, over at Faneuil Hall. They set up a whole Survivor Series store with tons of like awesome merch. They did a, a deal with Sam Adams where they had Sam Adams branded Survivor Series shirts. Um, so uh, it's just so major league. I mean, it, it it's hard um, to, to touch it. And, you know, even little things like and I know this is not the first year that they've done this. So, so uh, you know, this was in a warehouse somewhere, but the gap between the two rings, you know, they had a custom steel plate made to bridge that gap to uh, ensure that, you know, there's, there's no seam there. And the cage look, you remember the old war games and granted this was 30 years ago, that thing looked like it was like about to fall apart at, at any moment. I mean, it was really, I remember the one that everybody loves and I do too, which is a, the 92. The, That's the my Stronger. favorite one. Yeah. yeah, And dangerous Alliance. And, and I was watching a, a clip the other day with sting and Medusa on top of the cage. And this was years before even undertaker and Shawn Michaels at the top of the hell in the cell. It was so novel seeing two people, wrestling mm -hmm. outside on top of the cage, just kind of chasing each other. And that thing looked like it was going to give way any second. Um, so uh, it, it really is so uh, a major league uh, and, and, and so impressive. But let's talk a little bit about the match. You, you touched on it. Um, it uh, an, an excellent story told, a, a great payoff. But in wrestling, right, the, the question is always like, well, what is this building to? What is next? And that is one criticism I have heard not just to this match, but ju just kind of the, the bloodline um, story in general is, you know, in as much as the idea, they've been telling this great story with Sammy uh, and all that, uh, but at the end of the day, what's the match that you're building? What is the payoff? And I don't know if that's at WrestleMania. Uh, and it's hard to see what that is. And, you know, they got five baby faces together. You could argue, you know, at least some of them, your top baby faces in the company. And, uh, yeah, it almost felt like that WCW NWO stuff back in the day where the NWO was just kind of mowing down WCW. They looked like, you know, uh, squash guys. And the, the crowd was so pro NWO and, and in this uh, case, uh, pro bloodline that you wonder if it starts to be a problem, you know, in as much as theoretically they're <laughs> well, so what Where yeah. do you expect this all goes? Well, it's funny. WCW turned their own company heel which was 
I don't know yeah. if that's what they wanted to do, but that's what happened. And it hurt them in that WCW came off as lame and 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 and, yep. and a joke. And that felt Clearly. a little bit like Drew McIntyre and and mm-hmm. uh, Sheamus and and those guys, yeah. But I don't see it becoming. It's not the issue that that was because that was like you were damaging the brand of your company. That's what WCW was doing. WWE is not doing that with this. They might be hurting their pool of baby faces. That's possible, but but it's not the widespread kind of damage. I think the bloodline is the best thing that's happened to WWE in years. Yeah, but. And I think in a way, not knowing where it's going totally, sometimes that could be like, this is awful and and they don't know what they're doing. But in this case, I actually think that's what they want you to think. Like, it's very calculated. They want you to go, oh, my God, well, it could go this way. It could go that way. It might go this way. Like, they want you to be thinking that now. And I think the finish played into that. Like, um, will will Sammy turn? If he does turn, is he going to be the heel? Is Roman going to be the heel? What's going to happen? Is it could Sammy possibly win the title? Could he be the I one that beats Roman that. Reigns? What a bizarre yeah, ending! I want to ask you know we we we've spent months here talking about what's WrestleMania and is it The Rock, which I'm sure is their, their first choice. Cody was so hot for so long, you know, is Cody the guy that dethrones um, Roman Reigns? I I half wonder if you do either of those matches, if The Rock gets booed and if Cody gets booed. And then now you have this new option. Is it crazy to think that they would do Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn at WrestleMania? Well, the rumors, I, you may have seen this, but the rumors that got out was the plan is basically uh, Kevin Owens with Roman Reigns at the Rumble. And then I guess at some point, uh, and, and then and then Sammy, Roman wins that, then Sammy turns, and at least this is what I was reading that then you get Sammy and Roman at the February pay-per-view. With the Usos for the, the tag title? No. Sammy versus Roman one on one. Oh, right. That's the one that's in Montreal. In February in Montreal. Right. Then Owens and Sammy challenging the Usos at WrestleMania. Like they reunite and reconcile. Yeah, and they challenge and probably win the tag yeah, title at Mania. I, that's fine. Yeah, I, but but it, I do wonder if they right. can even get a, even more out of it. You know, <laughs> maybe they could. I feel like there's there's no way they're not going to do Rock if they have the chance to right. do it. Sammy might be something that they do if they can't do that. But you got to remember too, with WrestleMania, their booking is on a whole other level where they're not just thinking of what's the best match or what's the angle and storyline that the fans are the most excited about that watch the show, which is Sammy. They're also thinking this has got to be for even the not WrestleMania is even for the non wrestling fanatic audience. So that's why you do rock and Cena and you do Logan Paul and these things that like people who may be the only show they watch all year is WrestleMania, you know? So in, in a situation like that, Sammy might not be the best way to go because then, that's a situation of like, who is this guy that Roman Reigns is yeah. wrestling? Like, like for anybody that doesn't watch the show, I mean, that's going to, and I think that they're trying to avoid that. So I feel like even Cody from that perspective would be a better choice because then you have the AEW angle. You have the fact that, you know, uh, casual fans might have more of an awareness. They would definitely know who his father was. Like there's a lot more of a, of a, of a mainstream appeal Obviously, nothing's going to beat Rock and 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 uh, Roman in that department. But I think from a pure storyline perspective, 
that's the best angle you could do would be Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. It's, it's beautiful. It's perfect. It's like, you know what it is? It's like the, the person that you never would have expected. It's almost like the end of Lord of the Rings or something. You know, <laughs> you have this incredible villain bad guy that you've built up for years. And the last thing you expect to happen is for Gollum to fall into the pit with the ring. And, you know, like that's the last thing you expect from my Lord of the Rings, you know, nerds out there. But it's the same kind of thing, like like in a good way, though, not like they pulled it out of a hat, but like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And that was fantastic. Yeah. They've just stumbled onto this and, uh, you know, it, it, it's the proverbial lightning uh, in a bottle. And um, I, I think you're right in what you're saying, but I also think that the momentum continues to grow. So uh, come WrestleMania time, are, are we talking about Sammy where he's at now or are we talking about Sammy even on another level? I mean, because with every show, I, I think his profile, his popularity grows and grows. And um, look, he was the most over guy in, in the building in um, in Boston mm -hmm. uh, easily, you know, and he is just uh, over like Rover, as, as they say uh, right now. I mean, and, and you can't um, undress. If, I think you're right about The Rock. If between Cody and Sammy, I don't know that it's that clear uh, uh, anymore, you know, especially well, with Cody being gone for a long time and, and now having to kind of rebuild, lost that momentum that he yeah. had coming right over AEW and having to rebuild it. And Sammy just building, building, building over the last several months. The difference I see with Rock, and this is so ironic, is of those three, if you look at these three possible matches, Cody Rhodes, Sammy Zayn, The Rock, I think the one out of those three who is whereas the most likely scenario that Roman would actually win would be the rock. I, right. I think, I think with Cody, especially Cody's got to win that match. And with Sammy, I think it's more likely than not that he would win. But with the rock, I think most likely the rock would lose in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. But they just got something so special right now in the bloodline. It, mm -hmm. it is just, it's just so much fun to, to watch. And, you know, even when uh, the raw or, or SmackDown feels like kind of a slog and fast forward through it, through it uh, when you see those guys come out, you got to stop and you got to watch. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we've been raving here about uh, Sammy and um, obviously Roman's great, uh, but, but everybody, I mean, solo Heyman, both the Usos, they all just playing their role um so well do you you know you brought up before uh because they're so popular do you wonder if maybe they WWE needs to just lean into it and just to kind of officially make them baby faces and it'd be a matter of uh, uh putting them um against heels right i mean you find like that despicable very possible heel, yeah, yeah and and again lean into it that is very possible if you do that, you just got to kind of take a different tack. Like, I don't think then you want to put him with Cody because that will hurt Cody no, very badly. Yeah, yeah I don't do know that. who it would be even. I mean, but but I'm thinking of like the smarmy. In fact, if I were them right now, I'd be getting very nervous about putting him with Cody because Cody was one of those people where you worked very hard to get away from what happened in AEW. You didn't want yeah, that to happen again. Was a year ago, yeah. And what happened with him and Seth like made him like a million bucks and you don't want to squander that. I feel like he's the kind of person where if you put him in there with Roman and the crowd goes for Roman, that's going to hurt him badly. And he's going to be headed back towards yeah. what was happening in AEW. So I would be afraid to put him in there right now. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think you, you test the waters. I, I don't know if the, I, I don't even know what his availability is, his, how his uh, rehab is coming along, but assuming he's ready for well. the rumble. Yeah. Um, I, I think you, you put him in the rumble, you see what the reaction is, 
and it might be playing, you know, calling an audible um, from there as far as, you know, where fans are at. Um, after Survivor Series, they they did this press conference. It was a lot of fun. I got to attend it, uh, wore my Pro Wrestling Illustrated shirt, and, and Kevin was very happy. And, um, you know, I don't think any, in terms of, like, news, anything earth-shattering came out of that press conference. But I did want to talk about uh, a Triple H, Paul Levesque, how impressed I am um, with him. I mean, I, I was sitting there, and uh, I'm a UFC fan, so... You know, I, I, I'm used to this kind of setup where event goes off the air. Dana White uh, goes backstage. He gives this many people were in, in the building. We sold this many tickets. So it was very much kind of coming from from that uh, mold, uh, clearly. And Triple H went through all that. Um, but I just think he is such a great spokesman um, for the company. And I was thinking... What if Vince McMahon was doing this press conference? First of all, he wouldn't. I mean, it just you wouldn't even think to do something like that. He's too but, old school, which is such an <laughs> ironic thing to say, right? But he is right. Uh, but also, I I, yeah, I was thinking of sort of like the the public Vince McMahon for forever, and you think about like the Bob Costas interviews and just how terrible he he came off. I mean, just a petulant child, unprofessional. And not only did I think um, uh, Triple H was was more in the vein of of uh, Dana White, but better than Dana White because. Dana's got some of that, Vince, uh, mm -hmm. too. Uh, and Triple H, just such a pro, so measured in his answers. Uh, and we've talked about it. I mean, clearly loves wrestling, is a wrestling fan. Um, also, so uniquely qualified because having been married into the McMahon family for all these years, also knows the political game. Um, very savvy. His answers were measured. Uh, they were diplomatic. Um, you know, there was a, and I don't even know if this made it to TV. I think it did, but, but, you know, everybody got their question in and there was a, a woman in the front row, uh, from a, a Latin uh, television channel who didn't get her question in. And he said, we're not going to wrap up until this you know, young woman who's been waiting patiently. And they've put a lot of guys in front of her and we haven't, um, gotten her question until she gets her question in. And it was a question about bringing WWE to Latin America. And he gave the very diplomatic answer that we want to go everywhere and all that. And I just left it thinking, you know, with such a feeling of confidence that the right guy is in, um, the right job. So I can't say enough good things, but I, I'm just so impressed with, the job he's done uh, early on. And, and it even speaks to bringing war games to WWE, which is something we know has been uh, a priority for him. He's done it in NXT for a number of years. And I imagine Vince was, ah, what's war games? That's not ours. I, I know that for a fact he was. I remember way back when they first bought all that stuff, it was floated. Triple H, I think this, I think Road Dog talked about this on his podcast. Triple H was really pushing 20 years ago. Yeah. For do I think that's how Elimination Chamber happened. He was pushing for war games. He's like, let's do war games. And Vince was like, what the hell is war games? You know, like, what? Yeah. I'm not going to do this. And another part of the fear was like, we have hell in the cell. That was a big reason. They were like, well, we can't do that. And then they come out with Elimination Chamber anyway. Yeah. So, But that's something that he has wanted to do for a very long time. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's, you know, not, not to oversell it, but it really does feel like having one of us at, at the helm, uh, kind of, because even when you, you understood, you, he, he talked about the, the reasoning behind doing a war games and not doing, uh, you know, the traditional tag teams elimination matches. And he even talked about, um, you know, some of the logic behind doing money in the bank on a certain time of the year. Uh, and we've talked about 
how it doesn't really make sense that that Hell in the Cell is you you do it in October because that's the name of the pay per view where it's something that should be more organic. He, he said the same agree. thing. Yeah, yeah, he he, he said agree. That. Yeah, and and he was right about well, Money in the Bank. You can't challenge someone to Money in the Bank, so that is something that makes more sense as just a date on the calendar. Um, so just whenever um, you know he, he is pressed on on one of these uh, issues of of wrestling and logic. It just seems like he has not necessarily the right answer. We could disagree, but a, a reasonable answer, which which is so far removed what we're what we got used to with Vince McMahon, which was just sort of so random. You know, one one quick thing, not not drag it on, but but talking to to Brian Hebner, um, which uh, uh, people will be able to listen to in, in bed here. We talked about like how arbitrarily all of a sudden Vince McMahon said, "Let's not use any referees' names." You know, oh, and know. and again, it's one of these just why what you know what is the reasoning behind it? it makes no sense, and it is just such a breath of fresh air to have somebody at the helm who uh, and again we could disagree on on some of the specific decisions, but seems to be bringing the same logic and reason that that uh, you know fans would. Yes, it, it is the upside of having a fan in charge. Like that could go really badly. It can go really well, and I think with Triple H, it's the best case scenario because he, even before he was a wrestler, he was a fan. And I think the the ironic thing, from what I know about him, and I could be wrong here, I knew I know he grew up in the Northeast, but I believe he was primarily like an NWA Crockett wrestling fan as in the '80s. I think that's really more where he gravitated towards. So it's ironic that someone like that is now running WWE. But but he 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 comes across really well, like you said. What's interesting to me is I try not to compare people and say, because people are people, everyone has their own vibe. Vince and Triple H could not be more different from each other in that way. But also Triple H and Tony Khan could not be more different from each other. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes Tony Khan demonstrates sort of like the, 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 the negative aspect of having somebody who's too much of a fan who's running the company. Whereas Triple H is is more of the positive side of that to me that's my biased view but yeah yeah and i think triple h um you know the other thing is 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 a son-in-law and so on top of like the 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 politics of of wrestling there's the politics of family there and i think um he you know we we've heard this about vince mcmahon um for forever that the the way to get through to him if you disagree with him is to uh agree suggest maybe a change to the idea what if we do it this way and then essentially let it be his idea and um you know you're just kind of reinforcing that and i and i feel like even now triple h is doing a little bit of that you know there were some questions about why we didn't do war games before uh and again very diplomatic it wasn't you know well the old guy just didn't believe in it and and you know i told you so kind of thing right it's very measured very diplomatic and uh but but clearly we've, we've talked about this a lot of other things um he is going his own way and and uh he is not do, he, what what vince mcmahon and he you saw the ariel hawani interview clearly you know he's still um i think giving vince mcmahon uh, the the respect that he feels he he deserves and and maybe using him as a sounding board um, sometimes, uh, but he clearly has um, no problem w- with you know going right where where Vince would go uh, left. He you know? he does it in a very diplomatic way. He never badmouths Vince. He always shows respect. 
And even on occasion, he'll still even repeat some of the honestly kind of boneheaded sort of catchphrases and things that Vince would say, like the fact that, you know, wrestling didn't exist before Vince McMahon or he, he took it out of bingo halls and that kind of like he'll still repeat some of those mantras to show I'm still a Vince McMahon guy. You know, I'm just this is me now. I'm running the company my way, but I'm yeah. not I'm not dumping on my predecessor you know but, but in terms of, of again for being diplomatic I, it's not lost on me that the first one of the first things he did when he when he took to that um microphone at the press conference was give uh, uh metrics give numbers that mm -hmm. this was the most successful survivor series ever the most the biggest gate for for um that building and they held a wrestlemania in, in that building uh, years ago so i absolutely think you know whether he could say it or not there's part of him that is saying i told you so you know war okay. games works war games would work just the fact that he's been reversing so many things that Vince did very pointedly, like reversing, you know, we're seeing one in progress right now with Regal, <laughs> where yeah. it's like, all right, let's bring him back now. You know, let's come, you know, it, he's doing, he's just reversing things that so many people thought Vince was wrong to do in the first place. Yeah, he's he's making right things went wrong. I mean, I think, um, uh, again, the Hebner is uh, talking to Brian. It, maybe counting on that being an opening here to mm -hmm. uh, mend some fences there. And, and even when Vince was still um, there, you know, that was kind of triple H's role. When you think about Bruno San Martino right. and the ultimate warrior, he was the one who was out there kind of cleaning up the mess. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it, it, uh, it gives you a real positive uh, feeling about the, the immediate future of uh, WWE. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about AEW, their, their competitor. Uh, as I mentioned, I went to full gear a couple weeks ago, uh, wasn't able to stay for the, um, the press conference just because the show went so late. Mm -hmm. uh, and I enjoyed the show. You know, again, we've been talking about how, whether they wanted it or not, they've needed a new direction uh, in, in part because of, of the whole mess with CM Punk. We've got uh, MJF as a uh, world champion. Uh, I'd say the jury is still out. You know, uh, it, it looks like the the numbers. Uh, we only have, you know, he's been on TV once since uh, then. He he actually wasn't on TV right after winning uh, the title. Uh, you know, I like MJF. Um, I understand certainly like putting the title on a homegrown guy, and uh, especially after so many kind of like XWB guys. Uh, I don't know that it's the solution. And uh, again, I mean, I, I think it's kind of been one of the stories of 2022. They do their show. Good show. WWE next week blows them out of the water with, with a, a, a bigger, I think it's better show. You know, there, there's still absolutely things that AEW does better than, than WWE. Uh, but it, it does feel like all the momentum is on WWE's uh, side right now. Um, what, what do you think about Full Gear and what do you think about MJF as champion? I thought that Full Gear was... A good show. I I mean, I always feel like AEW seems to deliver on the pay-per-views more than anything. Um, I There's things I don't like on there, like I can't deal with those trios, bucks, matches. <laughs> where uh, That's me. I, that's my opinion. I just cannot, where the referee is just like, he might as well just take a stool and just sit in the corner for, for a half hour. Not my thing, but I, I, MJF, I think, is great. Um, you know what the funny thing was? I, I thought that as far as matches goes, I think Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter is the best match on the show. Really? And I was, and I was not expecting that, you know, I, not because they're not very good, but it, it was one of those where, like, one of the things about AEW is because I think 
the talent get to kind of run the show a lot more and do whatever they feel like, not whatever they feel, but do more of what they just feel like doing. And there's not as many restrictions and things that sometimes that can lead to, you know, not so great results. And so in some of the matches, and sometimes then when you have people in there that really carry themselves well and know how to put together a great match that it stands out so much. Like I remember when Cody was there, his matches would, would always stand out for that reason. And I feel like um, the the Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm match, they just conducted themselves like wrestlers. At, in a, you know, they, they put together a really compelling match. There were a, a number of good matches on the show, though. I thought the, the main event, was very good, especially because I feel like MJF really gets it more than most people over there. And I know like part of his gimmick, I guess, is that he's like a WWE guy who's stuck in AEW. I mean, that's almost like part of his gimmick, like, but there might actually be some truth to that gimmick because, because his whole angle and character is almost like partly a shoot, but I think it makes for compelling TV. I think he's, he's really solid in the ring. He's a great promo. Um, the thing with Regal, even though I think people saw it coming a mile away, sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's okay to do the thing that people see coming a mile away because it's entertaining and and compelling. And in the, and in this case, it was. I think it's a great move to put the title on him. I think, um, you know, I know they had it on Page, and he was another homegrown person. I feel like that didn't quite work out as well yeah. as maybe they wanted to, or I thought it would. But I think. Someone like MJF, he's got a lot of positive momentum. He's starting, he he feels a little more buzzworthy than a lot of the other homegrown people they have where he has the potential for more crossover appeal. I think it's a smart thing to do. I think even, look, I loved what he did at the press conference because I, I take issue with those AEW press scrums. And I think, uh, you know, part of the, the reason everything went so south with All Out is because of the way those things are run. And, you know, wrestling is not UFC. Wrestling is not Major League Baseball. So the yeah. press conference, I don't think, should be treated the same way. And when MJF came out and did what he did, it stood out more than anything that anyone's done other than CM Punk at the press conferences because he just gets what his role is supposed to be. He's not going to go out there and be an a-hole and hit somebody with brass knuckles and win the title and run everybody down and then sit next to Tony, Tony Khan and go, oh, yeah, I think John and I work really well together. And he's a great performer. <laughs> yeah. He knows not to do that. You know, he's smart. And I think a lot of that is him. It's it's him. And so I think that's somebody that's – and it's really good to give – a lot of uh, a, a strong push to and a big platform to. Yeah, it, it's what makes him unique. It's also kind of one of the, the frustrating things uh, in, in dealing with him. And in, in, in my other job, I had an opportunity to um, interview I read that. him. <laughs> and, and, you know, frankly, he's a tough guy to interview because he is always on. Right. But I will yeah. say to in your, and this isn't because I'm just talking to you, I, I thought that the interview came off well. I, I, in fact, I, um, we quoted it and used part of it in the wrestling news. I, I thought, you know what it is? He's got a way of, um, and he did this too on that podcast he was on that they used a big clip from, uh, pardon my take, I think it was called, where he can stay in character and still be interesting and compelling to listen to. Like he's got enough of a creative mind that it's not a one-trick pony where it's just you know, a guy that's uncomfortable with his character, like, you know, when wrestlers used to go on the Arsenio Hall show or Regis and Kathy Lee and stuff, and they would just, 
not have anything to say because Mr. You know, Kurt Hennig just has to be Mr. Perfect for 10 minutes. Yeah. Like he, he knows how to keep it. At least I thought maybe you didn't think so. I thought he still kept it interesting. I, it was a good read. For I thought sure. even though he was totally in character, I thought it was compelling. What one little bit of, of behind uh, the scenes insight was, uh, and, and it was off the record. So, so I'll honor that, but there was, we had a portion of the conversation where we talked on a subject matter that I, I don't think he was expecting. And um, we went into it briefly. And uh, at the end of uh, the interview, he asked if we could take that out uh, because I think he was concerned. Uh, he had some political concerns about how it would um, come off. So he's not a dummy. And you mean um, political within the business or like political, like politics, uh, maybe a little both, um, wow. you, you know, uh, and and, uh, you know, I think he's my, he's very smart and mindful about what that character is and what he should and should not be saying. Um, so, yeah, he's it, but but it does kind of create a unique uh, situation. He, that's a tough guy to have at the, at the top as your standard bearer. Right. I mean, like he is uh, always going to be on the, the other question, this kind of similar to what the discussion we were just having about bloodline is that we saw in the weeks leading up to, up to full gear is that there's at least a potential there for a really good baby face too. And there was some thought, um, you know, do you lean into that and just go all in and um, you know they they could use a really strong uh, baby face. I mean they've got Moxley. Moxley's pretty over, uh, but you do wonder. Well, how well does can can MJF do the MJF act as a good guy? I'm glad that they didn't go with it. I was really hoping that it would be one of those deals like The Rock in '98, what they did with him with the corporation, and that's kind of what it turned out to be. Where, it, and I think part of it, and and I think it was the same with The Rock. Part of it, I think, was testing the waters to see, like, what would the reaction be? Could he? How would right. he be as this face? We're not going to do it right now, but if we want to do it, how would it play? I think it went well. I just don't think it's the time to do it now. Uh, it is not the time. Yeah. I, I, I think you need his role needs to be first filled by somebody else before you do that. And that is not the case right now over there. Yeah. The, the other thing that, that kind of parallels with the discussion we we're just having about Bloodline is um, where is this going? And I think it's one of the issues that AEW has right now that really from uh, its inception, there was always kind of, you know, that thing to look forward to, whether it was this guy's rise or this guy coming in. And it does feel like to some extent they have shot all the bullets in their, their gun. Um, I, you know, I don't know what that next big signing would be or if it even uh, exists. Um, and it's there, there are certainly all kinds of uh, uh, contenders who you could see elevated into that world title pitcher. And we haven't seen Brian Danielson yet um, with the title and, and all that. But uh, I, don't, I don't know what there is to look forward to. Right. I mean, what is that big thing? in AEW that, oh, you know, just wait until we see X versus X or this guy come in or this guy win. And may maybe it's there and I'm missing it. I mean, it, th does that exist there right now? Well, the problem is they squandered Wardlow because, and again, yeah. like I know sometimes we go down this fantasy booking rabbit hole. I don't know how people uh, feel about it when we do this, but I'm going to do it. Uh, they really squandered something that was special there. Uh, because we know we have heard that he was one. He is one of those people that WWE has interest in. Um, he would have been the no-brainer person now to put with MJF 
to say, hey, when we wrestled, I turned you into like a little stain on the mat. I powerbombed you 700 times and beat you beyond a shadow of a doubt. So how about you give me a shot at that title? Um, but that doesn't even feel like the right thing to do now because Wardlow is nowhere. Yeah. But it would have been if they kept the momentum going from where he was when he first beat MJF. So I think that's part of the reason why it feels that way right now is that the 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 booking is not as solid as what WWE is doing right now. It's more and look, there's reasons for that. I'm sure it feels like it's very chaotic over there now. Uh, it's probably hard to string together coherent television, at least a lot harder than it was. So that might be part of the problem. And and we all know that whatever happened at Full Gear, that was supposed to be. Uh, MJF beating CM Punk. I mean, right. that's what that was supposed to be. So that's the underlying disappointment under all of it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and it and it does go back to a lot of the differences between um, the two companies. I mean, I think the one thing that WWE also has on its side, uh, as undisciplined as they've been about it um, over the years, is the two brands, right? So uh, you you are able to have top guys, top feuds separately um and you know i think that's one thing that's in aw it's missing you've got a lot of guys who certainly could fit into that uh main event pitcher but right. with uh, essentially one brand and i know they've got more than one show there is one main event at any given time so uh you've got mjf and uh moxley on the top of um you know and and the other thing is these quarterly pay-per-views compared to wwe is that uh uh they had they stay on this one program longer so you can't you don't can't just cycle to the next uh, guy the next month so you, you spend all this time building mjf and uh, uh moxley and below that you've got jericho's program which is going to be important and you've got you know the bucks program kenny Omega's program that's going to be uh important and so a wardlow like you touched on who um seemed on the fast track you know, ends up whatever, like fifth from the top, sixth from the top, or or, or whatever it is, it, right. it becomes an afterthought, and it, and it's almost just a matter of math that it's just there's so many wrestlers and storylines uh, here, you can't feature everybody at the top. There's also been this aversion that Tony has, and he's even said it, of doing big rematches. Like it's not something he's a big fan of, and I think maybe that's a response to WWE because that's what they do. They'll do like the pay-per-view cycle where like it's like the old thing they used to do at the garden where right. you have like the challenger where to get his three main events, like that kind of thing. That's still what they do now except pay-per-view. But sometimes that's the thing to do. Like I sure. still can't get over Get all the mileage out of it. Yeah. People don't talk about this, but I mean Kenny Omega – and Daniel Bryan, that was like match of the year. Bryan Danielson, sorry, at the first Grand Slam. And it's like they do a half-hour draw. It feels like WrestleMania. The place is going nuts. And then never talk about it again. We're done. If that was WWE, that would be – those guys would be feuding up and down all over the place, having every kind of match. you know. And to just leave that alone was another mistake. Yeah, it's funny. It's a weird parallel that I just thought of. Um, supermarkets, right? Here's a you weren't accounting on this one, right? <laughs> no, so, supermarkets no. have been a certain way for uh, forever, right? And I feel like, and, and it's because I'm doing a lot more shopping these days. Uh, um, <laughs> like now, there are some places that are kind of reinventing 
supermarkets. I don't know if you've ever gone to what's the place? Aldi's, right? So Aldi's, it's like no, my uh, wife, my wife talks about that place. Yeah, right. So it's like um you you there's all these like rules about it. So there's, there's like a long line and they queue everybody up to different um cashiers and they pack your bag, but they don't they don't pack your your uh, bags in your cart they pack the, the your bags in the cart in front of you and they don't put it in bags you after you pay you go to a, a, another area and you put your own stuff in, in bags and the idea is maximize efficiency um you know speed things up what have you reinvent the wheel and uh from my experience it's like well this isn't really working. <laughs> and and whatever <laughs> criticism you had about the, the way it worked before, uh, when you try to reinvent it, you realize, well, they did it that way for a reason for, for a long time. And I do wonder, it's a long way of getting to, you know, it does feel like, and I understand uh, Tony Gunn and AEW um, wanting to make their own way. And certainly like there's been criticisms of other promotions, Impact TNA over the years, for for just kind of doing low rent WWE copying their formula but not doing it as well and so I appreciate um, AEW trying to go their own way but in doing so you realize like oh well this is why they did it that way right so well, so I think at your point it's like yeah that that cycle that WWE does of doing a, a a big match you know Cody Rhodes in the time he was in WWE before his injury. And I remember putting together his PWA 500 profile. He wrestled the same guy over and over and over again. So he like he really had one opponent right. in WWE <laughs> because they did it on on three different um, pay per views. But it worked, and we and we wouldn't have gotten that huge blow off in in Hell in a Cell and that classic match with his uh, bruised shoulder, all that. If if they if they just moved on to the next right. thing. I mean, there's got to be a middle ground. I mean, I understand maybe not doing it as much, maybe saying like, yeah, that's not going to be our policy to do these constant rematches, but to have an understanding of when it's warranted. And for a long time, there just seemed to be this feeling of like, nope, it doesn't matter how good yeah. this is. We're not doing a rematch. That's we're not wrong. what we do. People were hungry for more with that Omega and Danielson thing. I mean, you could feel it. They were like, all right, where is this going now? And it went nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I mean, uh, it, it, it's also, uh, I think, a product of they got so many guys that they might feel the need that we can't linger too much on, on anybody because there's uh, a line forming of uh, contenders and they just have uh, whatever it is now, the four pay-per-views uh, a year. So, um, you know, it, it some of these stuff you just you just find out by doing it because certainly there's been a lot of criticism over the years about WWE having too many pay-per-views and the glory days of having just four pay-per-views yeah. at WWE. But you know, there's there's pros and cons uh, of each. Uh, anyhow, we've been going uh, a while now, and um, yeah, we covered a lot of ground. A fun time, you know. Uh, it uh, for for the end of the year here, and it's usually kind of a downtime for wrestling because you're in between the big shows. Uh, but but it's fun and and it feels fresh you know it's so much and, and and it's crazy that the part that feels fresh is wwe you know and, and not <laughs> i know that is whatever three years old i was just um, talking to someone about that like right now in this moment they're the ones and i would have to say if i had to pick my favorite show to watch like i i used to say it was dynamite for for like a brief window it was nwa power right now yeah, my favorite true. show to watch is smackdown same here. And, and, yeah, and it just happens to be the best, in my opinion, consistently week to week major wrestling TV show 
on TV. So yeah, real quick uh, but before we run, uh, uh, maybe cover some other small things from from Survivor Series. Uh, this this alleged heat with uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Owens and, and Roman Reigns about the slap. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, it, it's a physical sport. This this kind of stuff's gonna happen. But but I guess I I do sympathize with not knowing that much about what exactly happened, but. I get being not happy about like, what the hell was that? <laughs> you right. know? No, I get it. My yeah. gut reaction at first, which I is not my view, but my first reaction was, oh, come on. You're the heavyweight champion wrestler of the world. And you're complaining that someone slapped you too hard in the face and gave you a bruise. But then I'm thinking, all right, um, that's only because it got blown out into this public story. Like that's the kind of thing that happens all the time behind the scenes and is completely legitimate. It's a gripe to have you're working with somebody to say, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing in there? Like, I wasn't ready for that. You're trying to right. hurt me or what? Those kind of things should not be aired in public because they can make people look bad. It could be misinterpreted like Roman Reigns is a whiner. He's a complainer, especially for fans that are maybe not as clued in to hear uh, the champion saying, oh, he hit me too hard. Is yeah. something that a fan is going to go, hey, what's up with this guy? What kind of a prima donna? But that's not the case at all. It's just that these things are legitimate, but they should just be kept behind closed doors. I think he was probably right to be upset. You also have to remember, too, the position he's in right now. He's the top dog. So, like, um, he he knows the kind of power he has on the roster. So, like, um, I'll just say, like, if it was a mid-card guy that that happened to, he's probably not going to feel free enough to openly in the locker room start yelling and cursing and complaining. You know what I mean? Roman knows that he is in a position where he can complain all he wants. In fact, if he wanted to, he could put Kevin Owens probably on the on the um, S list of, yeah. of like, hey, I don't want to work with this guy. I don't think he's doing that at all. But I think he's totally within his rights to have been upset for if it went down the way he said where it was unplanned and you hit me really hard and I think I might have blown an eardrum. Yeah. Completely understandable that he'd be angry and upset about that. Right. And and we've seen that Roman is a guy who um, is careful about his health. Some of it comes from his, mm -hmm. you know, his health experiences, the leukemia and all that. But but, you know, we saw him drop out of WrestleMania. Uh, because he was concerned about his health and good for him. Uh, and now we're getting into, you know, this stretch where it's, you know, WrestleMania is getting closer and closer. He might be having the biggest match of his career there. If he gets um, the rock, you got to be careful. So, so yes. I get, you know, if, if, if this wasn't planned and it's little things like that, um, you know, a slap that could do some real damage, you know, as, as trivial as it sounds, you can blow out an eardrum, you can get a concussion, or, you know, you see that the Dana White starting this this slap league, you know, the, this new extension of UFC. And if you ever see this stuff, it's on YouTube or TikTok all the time. It is just the stupidest, most violent, dangerous thing, uh, I think, where you just kind of like stand there and you get um, slapped as hard as you can. Um, so I get it. I get why, you know, when I when I watch uh, matches, you know, that the strong style matches and, and you see a lot of them in AEW where guys just slap the crap out of each other over again. It's off-putting, you know. Yes. It's exciting, um, you know, but but even more so than like you know the um, the Gunther uh, slaps on on the chest, um, and I think you get the same kind of like holy crap effect uh, out of that. But you're not talking about somebody's head, somebody's face, somebody's uh, ear. I I get why 
you know, you might want to back off from those. Completely. Yeah, yeah, dangerous stuff. All right, didn't expect to go there, but that was a fun little uh, diversion. Uh, Brian, uh, thank you. So anything you want to plug? Uh, I know you've been teasing some news about uh, another book. Is there anything uh, to announce yet? I wish I could officially announce it yet, but you know, sometimes the holidays slow things down. So like there, like I said before, there is an agreement with uh, the publisher as to what my next wrestling book is going to be. It just hasn't been like signed yet and sealed and all that stuff. And so I don't quite want to say yet. It is a biography and I will, as soon as I feel comfortable, I'll be, I'll be saying it. It's a biography. It's with ECW press again, like the chic book was. So I'm excited to get started on it, but you know, I'm I'm still in a holding pattern. I have a feeling probably after the holidays we'll I'll know for sure. All right, looking forward to it. And and people obviously uh doing their holiday shopping, you can pick up uh, Blood and Fire, the story of the original Sheik on Amazon and anywhere else, I guess, right? Yeah, Amazon is the easiest, obviously. Um, I've seen some out in the wild in Barnes and Nobles, but yeah. you know, if you have one near you, they may have it because it's a recent book. It came out this year. Uh, Blood and Fire, Biography of the Sheik. I'm very hopeful, I have my fingers crossed, that it gets nominated in the Observer Awards when they come okay. out. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping new. I don't think, I, I think that's Brian Gewurz's award to win, but I would at least <laughs> like to be on the list. That would be fun. And I think that comes out probably in a few weeks. The All right, everybody go out and vote on that. Do people vote on those? Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, any readers can vote. In fact, I don't even know if you, how do they prove it? Well, I guess if you're on the subscriber list, I don't know. I'm not sure how it works, but I think if you're an observer subscriber, you could definitely get a campaign going here. Yeah. 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 All right, Brian. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks everybody. Uh, For those watching on video, uh, we'll see you soon. Those listening on um, audio. Uh, let's hear right now from legendary uh, referee in Impact Wrestling, WWE, lots of other places, and a member of a legendary referee family. Here is Brian Hebner. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, yeah, no worries, man. Yeah, yeah. So I heard from Kevin about um, your your lobbying efforts uh, to get some of the Hebner family into the WWE Hall of Fame. We thought it was a worthwhile effort and wanted to talk to you uh, a bit about it. Uh, so let you know, and, and I'm not just saying this, but to me, this is a no-brainer, right? I mean, especially when um, you, you think about the Hall of Fame and, you know, it's sort of nebulous what the qualifications are, uh, but they, they are generally sort of who are memorable, iconic uh, characters and, and personalities from uh, WWE's history, and certainly uh, the Hebners are, are right up there. Um, so is this something that, that you wanted for a while? Did, did it become especially important over the past year with your uncle's passing? Yeah. I mean, to me, it just, it just felt like, you know, it's, it's time. Um, so many years have gone by since they, you know, they were no longer in the WWE, WWF. And, you know, to get to that age where it's, it's, to me, it's just time to be recognized. Uh, they, they, like you said, they just did so many iconic things and they were larger than life characters as far as referees go. And I just, you know, I I can't understand. And what bothers me is I've seen so many people get into the hall of fame that shouldn't be into the hall of fame Mm -hmm. that didn't even contribute to the wrestling business. Um, And if they did, it was a little small, minute portion of it. You know what I mean? And I just think it's a world. Say that again, sorry. The Drew Carries of the world, or uh... yeah, yeah. I mean, what? I mean, what the what the hell did he do? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. It's just, uh, it's just sad that 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 to me, 
that with all the years of the stuff that they've done, it isn't yeah. recognized. And, and I just can't understand it. It just, it just is mind boggling to me and just actually makes me angry when I think about it not being done already. Let's talk about what some of the reasons are why um, the Hebners aren't in the Hall of Fame. And, and really, uh, maybe some of it is the same reason why there are no referees in the Hall of Fame. You know, certainly under Vince McMahon for the last, and this wasn't always the case, but the last 10, 15 years, there was this clear uh, uh, desire for for referees to be anonymous. I mean, to the point that you weren't to use their names or anything uh, on TV. How much of it uh, do you think is that? Uh, and, and how much of it is a, a, a grudge specifically with your family? Well, first of all, the anonymous referee thing is, is just utterly ridiculous and stupid. Um, they're, they're just part of the show in that match as everybody else. Obviously, they're not the ones that are drawing people and drawing and selling tickets. But they're still part of that, that, that motion picture that's putting on in front of your TV. So to not mention the guy who's making the right call or the bad call or whatever it may be, it's just ridiculous to me. And it's, it's just asinine. I'm just being 100% honest. I think that that rule that Vincent, you know, employed was just utterly stupid and dumb and didn't make any sense. Uh, so that's that part. As yeah. far as holding, as far as holding a grudge, I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, there's many people that are in the Hall of Fame that totally screwed Vincent, man. Mm-hmm. Over the, over the years, but they're recognized. I would think, as far as how and what they contributed to the business. So, what grudge is big enough for the Hebners? That's not big enough for people that have held up ransom and weren't going to do a title defense, and um, you know, just the, I, and I don't want to use names, but I'm just saying, like, you know, there's women that have done things there that are in the Hall of Fame. There's it's there, there's certain people there that were written off. As far as being a part of the WWE universe, but they're still in there. You know what I mean? And I just don't think that whatever that grudge is is big enough to not honor what they've actually done. Now, obviously, the, the big thing that's changed over the last year is that Vince McMahon is, is no longer uh, in power, at least not directly. There's all kinds of questions about how much influence maybe he wields uh, behind the scenes. But we, we have seen referees going back to being named on, on TV, and, and it does seem like it's a little bit different under uh, Paul Levesque, Triple H. Um, so d- does that maybe create a, a window of opportunity here? I mean, do do you have any sense of where a Paul Levesque might stand um, on this? I know this. I know that the relationship between my father and Triple H has always been very, very good. Um, as far as my relationship as well has been always good. So, you know, maybe this is something where – Vince isn't involved in it. That's the the problem. I, I I don't know if it's Vince. I mean, I, one would assume. I mean, he's the one that made all the decisions at that point in time. So maybe it's something that you know, just like people being brought back to the company that were let go for one reason or another and are coming back now uh, because they weren't a Vince guy, you know, or a Vince girl. Now they're coming back because, quite frankly, there's other people that are all making decisions together and not just one man that sees his own vision. Yeah, and just you know does what he wants to do. Let's cut this guy because I, I don't like the way he, he's not a cookie mold that I like, you know, that kind of thing. And, you, you know, you, you look at, um, you know, many of these people that are back in WWE that are really doing some good things. I mean, and that just goes to show you that, you know, you can't just base it on one man's opinion. 
And that's basically the way I see it. Whether this is a, a chance for the Heavners to get into the Hall of Fame, we'll, we'll see. And I just don't, once again, whether it's one man or whether it's a committee, I, I, I still can never figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you, you, you've got some, some bias here because it, it is your family. But generally speaking, I mean, do you think that referees, um, whether it's, it's, it's the Heavners or not, should have been recognized in, in the Hall of Fame uh, a long time ago? I mean, your, your uh, family might be the most recognizable, but there are other really recognizable referees. We lost one um, earlier this year, right, in, in Tim White. And, uh, I, you know, I grew up in, and whether it was Joey Morella or uh, Dick Grohl, these were personalities that fans were familiar with. I, I do. I, I totally do. I see that this is um, definitely something. Sorry, man. Um, but I, I, I totally do see that other referees should get in. And I've touched on that on, on my uh, podcast where – you know, Mike Chioda's, Joe Morello's, uh, Nick Patrick's, uh, Jimmy Corderas. You know, the, the, those are guys that, you know, like you said earlier, Tim White. I mean, these are people that, in my opinion, have been marvelous to the business and contributed in high, high you know, just high levels. So, yes, it's not just because my dad is my dad, and that's why I think, and I'm holding that because he's my family. No, I, I just think that, you know, I'm not stupid, I, not because he's my dad, but, I mean, everybody else has seen what he's done, too. It's just, you know, no, it's, so it, it shouldn't just be based upon the Hefner family. No, no, that's not what I mean at all. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned Kyoto, and, and, and uh, I absolutely should have mentioned him. Of, of all the departures, uh, the fire in, in recent years, that's one of the ones that sort of bummed me out the most because of, of the history there. I mean, Mike Kyoto worked in that company for more, you know, he was there in the 80s, obviously along um, with, with your dad and, and your uncle, um, but, uh, when, when you got that news of Mike Kyoto of, of being fired, how did he take that to me? It was like, how did you let this guy go? Well, the thing is you have to remember. Okay. So also, if you know who Tony Trimble is, he's a long time ring announcer. They both came into the business together. They were friends and both of them were let go in a short period of time, you know, from, from one to the other. And I can just tell you under that Vincent man regime, there is no loyalty. There is no loyalty to anyone or anybody. And that's been very, very apparent through all the years. He doesn't care who you are, what you do. If, if, that, that's just, if, if you rub him the wrong way, you're gone. If you sneeze the wrong way or chew your food the wrong way, you're gone. There's no loyalty in that company, none. That's why I would never go back because the fact that I'm not going to sell my soul to think that I have a job for, for life when, or, or at least till I'm too old to do it or whatever it may be and think that they're going to take care of me. They're not, not under Vincent man. They're not, there's no loyalty, none. They give you nothing back. So was I shocked? Yes. But was I really, really shocked and floored? Absolutely was not. Yeah. You, you, you still talk about it in present tense. Uh, but as, as we talked about, theoretically he's gone. Do you question that, that, he doesn't have influence there uh, anymore, or at least – do you still feel like he's kind of running things? I, I, and I don't mean to be ugly when I say this at all. I, I don't know, and I really don't care. Um, mm -hmm. I just know that uh, things are different. And like you said, you know, the, the anonymous referee names, uh, talent being brought back. Uh, if he's got to stay so, uh, you know, it, obviously he's not the end-all, be-all. Yeah. But really, I mean, if you know, he probably does have his hand in it because he's Vincent Man and he's just that way. But 
But no, I, I you know, I, to me, at the end of the day, I, I really don't care. Yeah. Where, where is uh, your your father on this? Like, he's got to be aware that that you're doing uh, this lobbying. This, you know, do you sense that this would mean a, a lot to him? I think it would make the world to him. I really do. I think that this would be the ultimate respect that he would always like be looking for as far as, you know, cause you have to remember, you know, he spent a lot of his life doing what he did in, in WWE, WWF and to have that closure of just saying to him, whether he did or didn't do or whatever the friction was, as far as all that goes, whether he did or didn't do whatever, just to have all that put behind him and just says, Hey Earl, we do appreciate what you and your twin brother and, uh, David did for this company, and we want to push in the Hall of Fame. I think would make make his life a complete life. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Dave Hebner because you know I'm, I'm out of the '80s, and uh, you know I, I was familiar with Dave was the referee. He was uh, the guy, and obviously we came to know your dad as as the evil uh, twin that was paid off the plastic surgery by the million dollar man. Um, does did did uh, bother you at all that? You know, Dave was, I don't want to say forgotten to history, but but clearly um, your dad uh, ended up with kind of the bigger reputation, the bigger legacy as a referee than Dave, who was uh, such a instrumental part of so many big matches in the 80s. I mean, I just think that the timing is the way it worked. I don't think it was anything other than that. I think that uh, Michael David got banged up. He had some injuries that pushed him out of the business as far as being a referee goes. And then there was other roles that he had to take. And then of course they used my dad and the roles that they did. And just, you know, it was just a matter of timing, you know, cause it wasn't that they, they made David go away. It wasn't like the, they, they said, we don't want you refereeing anymore. It was a matter of the injuries and all that piled up. And then he just couldn't simply do it anymore because of knee the, the knee issues he had. Mm-hmm. But I just think it was just a, a coincidence as far as the way the timing of that worked. I understand the question you're asking. I, I, yeah, and I yeah. really respect it, too. And I just, yeah, I just don't, I don't think that it was the way it's portrayed as far as Earl Hebner comes in from the NWA, Crockett Promotions, and comes in there, does the twin deal, the evil twin deal, and then shoves David to the side, and then he becomes the star or the the bigger of the two. I don't think it worked quite that way because of the fact of this timing as far as injuries go and David just not being able to continue to be a referee. It's interesting hearing you talk about injuries and, and the physicality of it because I think a lot of fans would watch and say, you know, what what is so physical about being a referee? You stand there, you you, you count to three. Uh, but certainly that that's not the case. And, and what, what can you tell people? What is the truth about the physical demands of being a referee? I'll tell you, um, I, and this is a true story. Uh, when I first started refereeing on a full-time level, like really high level, I would come home and I would really, really, really be banged up. Now, I was always one of the ones that usually, not all the time, but just usually was the one that took bumps. And my body was just banged up. And now I'm a guy that's in shape and goes to the gym and all that stuff. And that's all because of I was tired of being banged up. And so basically I took going to the gym and eating right seriously while I was in WWE and it completely changed my, 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 my whole life as far as being a referee because I was able to withstand this, these beatings. And I, I don't want to say beatings. I guess that's probably not a, a correct word. These big massive bumps from these big massive men 
mm-hmm. where I'm not a big dude. You know what I mean? So they, they they were taking their tolls. You know, you work four or five days in a row, and you're just taking the you know the same, uh, you know, bumps where they're you know whether it be a choke slam every night for four days, five days. <laughs> well, you know whether it be going to a table, whether it just be taking a spear, uh, it, it it you know just on and on and on. So it just it just changed the way the perspective of refereeing was and and went going forward because I think a lot of guys started to notice you know the the things that I were doing and noticed that the the change in me and it was because simply because I was tired of feeling like shit when I got home and there's stuff now you know even though I'm I'm not active anymore I'm you know retired you know there's things now that I still feel you know that I can't take away and will never go away. You know, those are, those are just things that happen. I mean, we're, referees are not big guys. They're not, you know, built to be bumped all around all the time. And guys that have long, long lives and, and as far as, you know, in this business, it's usually because they're not as physical. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, and, know, and, I was and, a very, very, very physical referee. You know, I really was. Yeah, I guess you came in kind of um, at the beginning of that new era of, of referees because when I think about referees from my childhood days, they, they looked like your dad and your uncle. They were they didn't look like athletes. They were uh, sometimes uh, a lot older, older than than them. When I think about uh, some of the guys, they they were like these little guys with with gray hair. Um, they they didn't at all look like athletes. And I mean, did you feel like you came in at the the tail end of that, where the, the expectations from a ref—I mean, the difference between a referee bump in 1988 and um, today, or or even the last 10 years—is huge, right? I mean, your 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 dad certainly wasn't going through a table 30 years ago. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, uh, but no, I I really feel like you're onto something there, you know. And it's actually something I really never thought about. I'm thinking about it as you do it and say it. I, I really think that I was part of a movement and whether I let it or not, I don't think matters, but you know, I think that I was part of a movement where the younger referees were really being pushed into the limelight really being pushed and being used because I think that, you know, the, the Earl Hebner's and all that stuff and the uh, Kyotas were being a little phased out. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in an ugly and nasty way. I'm saying, I just think that the younger generation, I think they were looking for, cause you know, let's face it, you know, WWF back then, always was looking for younger faces, you know, and, and then not even that long ago, I, there was a rule. I think there was, that they weren't going to hire anybody that was 30 or older or some kind of number. I don't remember if that to be exact, but, you know, so I just think that, you know, I was, I was part of a movement where there were younger referees. And, and I think I really did start a movement where referees started to take notice and, and, and begin to get in shape. Who, who becomes referee? Because when you see a lot of the people who, are the younger um, referees? I think there's a thought, and and maybe it's often it's true that these are aspiring wrestlers that that maybe uh, a, a scout or or a promoter thought, well, you don't have exactly the right stuff to be a wrestler, but you could be a referee. Is is that about accurate? I think it is. Yes, I do, especially today. I, I really do. Uh, it, it's 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 not the case for some companies I've worked for, but I think in WWE in particular that it's definitely that is spot on definitely i mean you could tell that some of these guys are in great shape and it's not because they are like yeah i'm gonna be a referee to me get in shape this is because they were in shape to be a wrestler or trained to be one and like you said they found another niche yeah yeah what what's that i don't know if that was the case with you did, did you just want to be a referee or, or did you also think about wrestling 
I only wanted to be a wrestler when I was younger and talked about it and acted like it and played around with it and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, when it was time for me to be a referee, that's what I knew I was going to be. I never wanted to be a wrestler. As far as when does it feel uh, like the consolation prize? Like, well, it's not exactly what I want to do, but but I'll take it if I could be part of this business. Um, or or what? Or is it just exciting to get a break? No, it, there, there's no consolation prize of being a, a ref at a high level. No, no doubt at all. Um, I, like I said, when I say was talking about being a wrestler, that was when I was like eight, nine years old. You know, what I mean, ten years old. But by like 13, 14, I'm like, yes, I can, I'm going to be a referee. I'm going to really be a good referee. I'm going to really try hard and train good and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, what I'm saying is in my early years, I was thinking about being a wrestler. When I was, when I was just young, just young and dumb and, and looking in the mirror thinking I, I was I was jacked and stuff. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. What, what I wonder with, with referees, uh, because if you're a fan of wrestling, Right. The ultimate thing is, is to be ringside for the matches. And and you guys got even a, a better seat than that. Right. Being uh, in the ring. So a, as a fan uh, of wrestling, uh, refereeing a match, can you also enjoy the match? Do you also enjoy the match as, as a spectator or is there too much going on in terms of what your responsibility is uh, that you, you can't uh, enjoy it just as a fan? I would say 90% of the time you cannot enjoy it as a fan. But yeah. there have been times where there's been a, let's just say, a program between two guys, and it was so intense that I literally forgot that I had to do stuff and just kind of was just mesmerized. And it was the boys selling the story, and I was I was in the story. And I forgot that I needed to get out of the story, and I needed to do a job. So I've been there before, and it was it was really wild. It was really wild, but not you know most times no you you know as you become more of a a vet you you look past that. But you know you know as a younger guy, and Undertaker and and and, and Kane are doing a what is it an inflamo match or whatever it was or oh yeah you know, Inferno match yeah Inferno there you go yeah um, you know. I'm, I'm in the moment. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm stuck there for a minute. And it's like, wow, this is crazy. And they're face to face and they're telling their stories and selling to the crowd. And I'm like, wow, this is some crazy shit right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it's it, it sort of like you got to pinch yourself. I imagine you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So it's just, it's kind of nuts, but you know, otherwise, you know, you just, you do your job. And, and you go back and watch it as a fan, and then you're you're good. Yeah. When when, when you have watched a match that you've refereed, is, is it completely different? Like, uh, uh, wow, I had no idea any of that was happening. It's got to be uh, uh, almost like an out-of-body experience. But there you are in the ring. You were part of it. But uh, I imagine it looks a lot different when you're just watching it on the TV. It does. It does. And there's a lot of times where I'll go back and I'll look and I'll go, I don't even remember that happening. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a great spot that was. Or I'll take a ref bump and I'll go back and watch it. And it's like, Jesus, he just took my freaking head off. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But, but, but no, it's, it's, I really don't like going back watching myself, to be honest with you. But I had to do it because that's part of my training that I learned that you have to go back and look at what you do so you can see some of the things you may or may not do right. So, you know, I, I don't enjoy that, by the way. And just, you know, like, like I said earlier, I have a, I have a podcast as well called Reffing It Up. And, you know, I, I don't enjoy listening to it during the editing. I, I really don't. I, I enjoy the podcast. I just don't enjoy listening to me. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I mean, I guess part of it is that 
to, to some extent, the referee is supposed to be kind of in, in the shadows. But, but how much of it, you know, is that the case? You know, what we talked about sort of Vince McMahon's vision is completely anonymous, nameless, faceless uh, official. Uh, and, and obviously there have been other extremes where referees uh, could play a very, very big role. And, and when you think about, like, you know, Nick Patrick and WCW and in the mid-'90s, you know, what is that sweet spot? I mean, how much um, of a, uh, of a, a participant in a storyline, a character in, in the story, uh, should a referee be at, it, at his best? Well, you shouldn't be any part of it. You shouldn't be any part of it at all. You should be the, the deciding factor of who wins that feud, meaning you count the one, two, three for that victor or whatever that case may be. Nowadays, I feel like refereeing has changed so much because of the fact that, A, in my opinion, they're not trained properly. B, they're trying to be the stars, which absolutely makes me sick when I sit around and watch today's wrestling. I just think that they're they're going overboard with movements and motions and selling what the guys are doing and just trying to be and, and just noticed and trying to be a part of that match that they shouldn't be, you know, and I, I just, you know, I don't understand how there are people that run a company that don't see this kind of stuff happening and it not be, you know, ridiculed and, and gotten rid of or, or at least explain to these guys, Hey, you need to stop. You need to slow down. You need to, you know, stop doing this and that and that you're taking away from what the boys are doing or you're taking away from the match. And that's just nowadays, just a common theme, which just, absolutely disgust me to be honest with you yeah i mean you've got this really unique perspective of kind of having uh one foot in in one era and another foot in in the other era so um yeah i mean i i would think that your your analysis uh would would go a, a long way um let me you, you, i i can't talk to Hebner and not bring up uh the the twin referees you've brought it up before as a kid i guess i was 10 years old when that happened um, do you remember watching that on, on TV and, and what, what was your reaction to seeing your, your dad and your uncle on? And it's funny because at, at the time I was a kid and then I grew up and I thought, well, like so many things of the eighties, oh, that was such a corny, cheesy thing. Then I watched it over the last few years and it totally holds up. I mean, it's terrific, terrific, uh, storytelling, uh, and, and not cheesy at all. It was just perfectly done. Well, and I've told this story before and it's, it's, totally true that uh, my dad had called me the day of the actual show. And as far as I knew, he was still with Crockett Promotions. Uh, and so it was one of those deals. What's that? How old were you at the time? You know what? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think yeah. I was 14. Okay. Maybe something like that. I know I wasn't driving. So, you know, yeah. somewhere along in there. And uh, I just remember him calling me and him saying to me, he wanted me to watch Saturday Night Main Event. And I'm like, to me, it was confusing because I was like, why would you want me to really watch Uncle David? You know, because I was a huge NWA fan because obviously my dad was in the NWA. I wasn't big into WWE at the, or WWF at the time, but I was into Hogan and that kind of thing. And he was telling me the match and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll check it out. And I was a wrestling fan and my friends were wrestling fans. And we watched it anyway, and we were going to watch it. So we turned it on and we all sat around and watched it. And as the match began, I, I I saw what I thought was David. And I'm like, man, David looks a little thinner than normal. 
<laughs> so even you couldn't uh, spot your your dad from your uncle. <laughs> well, I mean, because they they do look so much alike, and I never got them confused unless their backs were to me. Sometimes I would call David my dad. I'd be like, "Hey, dad," you know that kind of stuff. But <laughs> you know, I could always tell them apart. And as it kept going, I was like, "This is not this is not David. That's my dad." And I and I but, but I still was unsure. You know what I mean? I was, still was unsure as this thing was unfolding, and then finally. As it all folded, I was like, I knew it, I knew it, but I was scared to say I knew it, you know, because I was I wasn't completely one hundred percent sure, but I just knew that wasn't my uncle David. So anyway, as that went happen, it was just really really cool to me. I was in shock and all, and just uh, was just beside myself to be honest with you. The next day at school was a very 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 interesting day for me. I'm sure, yeah, I mean. To this day, is that I think the biggest, the, the most watched uh, wrestling match in uh, in American history or something. I mean, because that was prime time uh, Friday night. Uh, you know, it, it was some crazy numbers. Um, and and there's your your dad and your uncle right in the middle of it. I mean, they really were kind of stars of, of the whole thing. Um, kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing, obviously, that your your dad is is um, autonomous with. Yeah. 25 years ago, uh, of Montreal, and um, you know a lot of people back in the news because of of the uh, the silver anniversary. Um, it, you know, h- how much of of a sore spot is this still uh, in in your family? I know it's something that your your dad uh, uh, took hard. Um, you know, can you believe it's been 25 years? Not at all. Not yeah. at all. Yeah, is is it is it still kind of touchy uh, in in the household? No, I mean here's the thing. You have to remember, the reason why this all happened is because, and I just found this out on this week's episode uh, of my podcast. I had Vince Russo on, and Vince Russo broke down this portion of the story, which is really, 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 really telling, where he was on a third party call with Brett and Vince. Vince wanted the other Vince, so both Vince's, Russo and McMahon, were on the, the phone call with Brett. Vince McMahon pitched every idea he could, and Brett said no, 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 no to every idea, mm-hmm. every idea. So what ended up happening that we all know about now was that they needed a way to figure out how to get the belt off of him because there was nothing that Brett was agreeing to. So to me, knowing what I know now after this week's episode, which, you know, I hope my father hears this as well, is that he did what he had to do for the company to protect the title and protect the people in the back. So there's nothing to feel bad about. Now, Brett's his friend, and he felt like maybe I think that's the portion of the of the whole thing where, where my dad was so bad is that he feels like he didn't do Brett right. But But you know what? My dad didn't know this going in. This was not something that he knew all day. This is something that he found out maybe 20, 10 minutes before the match. So this is something that he had to do and agree to because he wanted to protect the company and the people that he worked for. That's how that happened. So do I feel bad and upset about it? No, I don't. Actually, I feel proud that my dad had the balls to stand up and do what he needed to do for the company he worked and loved. Yeah, you know, he really was just kind of caught up in something. And when you are an employee and your employer um, tells you to do something, I mean, everybody can kind of stand, uh, say that they would take the stand, um, but he had a job to do. Yeah, I, I, I get it. It's it's too bad that 
he became such a critical party to this infamous story when um, more than really anybody there, he, he was just doing his job. Yeah. Well, it, well, let me, well, let me just say this. What, what do you think would happen if he didn't do it? He'd be out of work. <laughs> yeah. He'd be fired. He'd yeah. be fired. You know what I mean? And is he was he really doing anything wrong? Think about it. Was he really doing anything wrong? He wasn't doing anything wrong at all. He was protecting what they they couldn't get off, which was the title of Brett. Brett was willing, in my opinion, that I've heard, was willing to do it the next night on Raw. But if he didn't do that, he would carry that belt to WCW, which would have been a huge, huge, big deal. And they couldn't they couldn't have that happen. And this is why they had to do what they wanted to do. Are, are there feelings of resentment toward Brett for holding any of this against your father? I mean, do you feel like he should he should know better? And certainly he's got the right to uh, have hard feelings about what happened and how he was treated. Uh, but but do you think it's wrong for, for him to take any of it out on your dad? Well, you have, to, you have to understand this as well. And then this has been something that I've been privy to that I know is that during that day, Brett felt something, and he asked my dad, was he going to do anything? And my dad said to him, no, I swear my kids, I'm just going to do what we're doing, that kind of thing, because my dad had no idea what was going on. So Brett's anger towards my dad was legit because he felt like he had lied to him. Right. When right. my dad didn't lie to him when he asked him the question at the time he asked it. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Right, right. So did Brett have reason to be angry? I think so, because he didn't know the story. Yeah. And and once the story was told, of course, him and my dad have amend, amend defenses, and he understands it now. He understands it after 25 years or whatever it may be. I mean, you know, I know they made up before now, like 25 years, but I know that, you know, it took a while, a long time. And so my, my, my point to this is that I understand Brett's resentment. I understand Brett's anger. But he didn't understand the situation just like my dad didn't when he told him what he told him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 25 years. And, and you know, it, that blows my mind that it's been that long. And the other thing that blows my mind is hearing you say you're, you're retired because, you know, I always think of you as like the, the kids, right? The the, the baby Hefner um, and, and you packing it in. Is is that something uh, you've done by choice? Is this uh, injuries? Or what's this, uh, made you decide to, to close this chapter in, in your career? No, I'm 100% totally fine. I can get in the ring today, and I can work probably another six, seven, eight, ten years. Um, it has nothing to do with that. It's just a matter of I want to be healthy when I get out of this job, and I am. I have kids. I have done everything I think I can do. I don't want to go to WWE. I don't want to go to AEW. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to retire at Impact Wrestling, which is where I went. I feel like I've done, I've, I've laid out some good work and, and carried my name on proudly. And I think I've done fine doing it. And I just think that, you know, when you have kids, you know, I have three kids and I've got a son that's in college at 19 years old. And I've got two twin daughters that are 14 years old. And my son, unfortunately, you know, I missed a lot with him, a lot. And girls are a little different. You know, he understood it. He was willing to accept it and actually was really proud of me and was, you know, you know, just really just over the top about the things I did. And he got to, he was able to watch and show his friends. Girls are different. They don't understand why their daddy's not there. So I just, I just uh, took time and thought about things and just really, really, 
said to myself, you know, what else can I do? What, 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 what's, what's my Mount Rushmore? Well, that's already been done. What is there left except for maybe disappointment as far as not getting the contract you may want or getting hurt to where you're, 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 you're messed up for life and you can't enjoy your time with your kids. Um, and then I just thought that it was just the, the right time for me to actually settle down, be a good dad, take care of my kids, be there for them and, you know, help run a family business and just, you know, be, be a normal person that doesn't have to get on an aircraft and go stay in hotel rooms every night and miss all the birthdays and miss yeah. Christmas and miss all the things that every American wants to not miss, which is what I was doing for so long. So, you know, and I have no, like nothing but love for the business. I have like no negativity at all. And, and, and that's another thing, you know, just, you know, politics are different nowadays. I don't want to play no games anymore. I, and I haven't played any games and I just don't want to, but I can see it going that way. I can see how people act and get treated. You know what? I just think that I want to go out when it's on my terms and right now it's on my terms and I'm, I'm very happy about my decision. I feel really good about it. I'm enjoying being at home, sleeping in my bed every night, driving my car. Uh, and that sounds as stupid as it is, but I enjoy driving my car and not a rental car. I enjoy laying my head on my pillow and not some other pillow that may have whatever all over it. Um, you know, I just, it's just, I'm, I'm very happy with my decision at this point. It, what, what, what people ask all the time, would you ever consider going back right now? I'm going to sit here and say 100% no. Would that ever happen a year from now, two years from now? I don't know that. I don't know that. And I don't know where I'll be at in my life as far as those go, you know, as years go by. But right now I'm totally happy with my decision. I think it's uh, very honorable, and, and, and nobody could uh, question uh, any of that. Yeah, you, you put in your time uh, as much as anybody. It's interesting you talked about your Mount Rushmore, and people certainly you know talk about that as far as wrestlers um, are concerned. What what are those high points that every wrestler uh, seeks in their career? Headlining WrestleMania or winning the world title or, or whatever. People don't think about that, I imagine, that much from the perspective of a referee. What, what is it for a referee, and, and what was it for you? Is, is, is it, you know, refereeing the main event of WrestleMania? Is that kind of as big as it gets? Sure. I mean, it does it get any bigger? Yeah. I mean, does, does Vince McMahon versus Hulk Hogan get any bigger? Yeah. Yeah, being the third man in the ring there. Yeah, I was there in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, along with Rowdy Piper, uh, I mean, taking a ref bump from Vince McMahon, even though it was a shitty one, but... <laughs> Uh, and that's another story. He was supposed to throw me between the, the top and the middle rope, and he goes throw me over the top, so I wasn't quite prepared, so I got tangled all up. It was just, it was a mess. Uh, but otherwise, it was <laughs> it was good. It's just you know it kind of sucked. I wanted to take a really good bump for him, but he just didn't. He got carried away. He was full of adrenaline. Which fuck, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> right, yeah. I I totally understand. But uh, yeah, it just you know. But other than that, I mean, no other referee can claim that. Yeah. And uh, I'm just really proud of that. And I, I was really proud to have been chosen. And it was just one of those moments that we just talked about it, where you're just in the middle of the ring and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and certainly, you know, you know, you talk about the Hall of Fame for, for your, your uncle and, and your dad. But ideally, I mean, if you could if you could write it your way, does the whole family go in? I mean, kind of like the Von Erichs went in. And, and are you part of that as well? Well, you have to you have to understand. I, I'm a totally different person than than a lot of folks. Meaning, I don't care. You go with me. 
a lot of this business, there's a lot of ego and, and you know that, I mean, there's a lot of ego carried, you know, the only thing I wish is that, and I feel like I've done a good job of it is that everyone liked me and everyone thought I was a cool, cool guy and, and was an awesome referee. You know what, if it, if it entails me going with the head of family, sure, I'll take it. I don't care though, if it doesn't happen, if they, if my uncle David and, and, and Earl go to the, the hall of fame, awesome, you know, and I'll be right there to clap and, and, and hug him and all that kind of thing. But the, it, no, I, it, it's, it, it wouldn't make my career or break my career, put it that way. You know, the, I would, I would actually rather, to be honest with you, go into the TNA hall of fame. That would mean more to me, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's funny. Like the, the, uh, because it's WWE, people associate uh, you and your family um, with them, but uh, you and and uh, your dad put in a long time in, in impact, right? I mean, uh, yeah. how many years? Fifteen years, maybe. Uh, at least. I just feel like you know that that's my true home. Yeah. Uh, they were they were the ones that picked me up when I was down. Uh, they did it not only once but twice, mm-hmm. and it's just you know just an incredible company to work for, and I just you know owe everything to them to me. Um, not that you know WWE didn't do a lot for me because. Golly, that that'd be a stupid statement to say, but uh, you know, and I have no hard feelings towards WWE. You know, I just don't understand how things went, and it's so long now. I don't really care. I mean, I, you know, I, I just believe that as far as my 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 journey through WWE was was all related to my dad and my uncle's issues that they had, and that just trickled down to me, which I knew it was going to happen, and it's 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 all good. It's all good, man. It, it works out for the best, and, and you know. When things happen for a reason that that and you figure out why, then then you know, and and I think that that's why my love for Impact Wrestling is always going to be there, you know, as far as uh as far as I can remember and say and be alive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think you're, you're doing a noble thing, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, there've been a lot of changes in WWE over the last year with uh, under the Triple H regime. And, um, you know, history has shown is if anybody can, can mend some of these fences, it's, it's him. I mean, he's the guy who brought Bruno back in to the fold and the ultimate warrior and, and so many of these others that you felt like, you know, th- those bridges were, were burned certainly more than, than anything with, with your family. So, um, yeah, hope, hopefully, uh, he'll, he'll be up for listening. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. You said you had a podcast. You, you want to uh, promote it here? Uh, where can people find it? Sure, sure. Uh, so you can find it on all your platforms, all your uh, podcast platforms. Uh, we our, our show drops every Wednesday, and it's called Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner. And to give you a little background on it, it we, we, we cover a wrestler. We go through their history. We go through everything they've achieved and accomplished, and then we break down a certain match and whatnot that I was involved in. And I kind of give you and enlighten you on – the day leading up and the things leading up to that match and the things that we went over and talked about that were kind of really interesting and things like that. And it's just a really unique, you know, not every day, like, you know, most wrestling podcasts are out there. We just have a unique way of spinning things and really making it interesting. And so uh, it's, it's, it's doing very, very well. And I'm very happy with it. Uh, obviously I want it to keep growing. And like I said, it drops every Wednesday at nine o'clock um, on all your uh, podcast platforms and it airs all week long until our next podcast drops on that next Wednesday. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, there's not a whole lot of original takes in, in wrestling, and and that sounds 
uh, entirely original. So, yeah, I'll definitely go and check it out, and, and I hope our uh, listeners do, too. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. This is a real pleasure. Best of luck. I absolutely hope to see at least uh, your, your dad uh, on that stage, if not uh, you, and, and um, certainly uh, memorializing your uncle as well. Uh, so uh, best of luck. I appreciate it. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me, man. I really do appreciate it. appreciate all what you guys do, man. All right, man. Happy holidays. Have a good one. Are uh, you too?